Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bccweb.com. As you know, we're doing this series on running with endurance and uh, Mark did a great introduction last week. Um, For those of you who might be visiting with us, we are always in series of things and our series on running with endurance is what we're doing across the summer. Mark did a great introduction last week. I left last week feeling really fired up, even though I knew what I was going to do. And I have felt (coughs) really overwhelmed by this this week and I felt incredibly overwhelmed this morning in the worship just thinking about God's faithfulness and through the years and God has always been there you know it doesn't matter what we go through good or bad and thick or thin God is always there and this morning what I want to bring to you and what Mark has asked us to do in this series is to look at some of these great people of faith Um, he set the scene last week when he Um, I'm going to speak about Enoch this morning. He set the scene last week when he brought this scripture. When he said, therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses in Hebrews 12, he said, let us throw aside every weight um, and sin that clings so closely and let us run with endurance that race is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And everything we sung about this morning, you know, feeds into what I want to bring to you this morning. God's faithfulness, God's goodness. We're going to look at Enoch this morning. And I bet many of you have probably never even looked at Enoch. I love Enoch. There's something about him that I want in my life and I have had for, many, for a long time and I'm going to share that with you this morning. He's in there for a reason. There's only about four or five verses in the whole Bible about Enoch and yet they're incredibly <coughs> profound. When Mark spoke last week, he talked about patient endurance that produces character and character produces hope in Romans. He talked about endurance to withstand a difficulty or great trial for an extended time, to withstand a difficulty or a great trial for an extended time. And when you know God and you know God is standing there with you, you can endure. He talked about throwing off every hindrance and sin that closely, so cling so closely and have the confidence to draw near to God. Many of us, <clears throat> we, we struggle to draw near to God when we're so closely clinging in sin. And when sin is so closely clinging to us, because we know God doesn't like sin. And so it causes us to turn away. But God, we sung it this morning. I wrote it on the back of my notes. Freely he gave it all for us, surrendered his life upon the cross, lifted on high, glorified. Why did he do that? So that we could come into his presence. No matter what is going on in our world, God did that. Freely, he gave it all for us. He hung and he died and he surrendered his life on the cross so that we might be able to, in our sin, that sin that clings so closely to us, still be able to come to him because we don't come in our own righteousness. We come in the righteousness of Christ. 
Only because I have Christ's righteousness am I worthy to come into the presence of God. And we deny that righteousness of God when we turn away. When we say, I hear so many people say, I'm not good enough for God. Well, that's right, you're not, but none of us are. And we don't come in our own righteousness. We don't come in our own goodness. We come in the righteousness of Christ. And this morning when we were singing, great is your faithfulness, I was, things were flashing through my mind of my whole life where God has been there. When God has been there, I shared with you back last, might have been, oh, it was last year when we had um, um, Poppy Day. What do you call it? Remembrance Day. When's that? Is it November. So, yeah, it was back then. How, you know, after the war, how my grandmother wanted to commit suicide with my mother and my aunt. And I think back to that time and I think, my goodness, God was there. God was there. How much worse could that have been? God was there. And in everything, and I thought about many times in my life when I've failed, when, I've, when things have gone wrong, when my mother died, my father died, my sister died, when all these things happened, God was there. God was there. How much easier was it to cope knowing that something was anchoring me and something was holding me inside? And this morning, in talking about Enoch, I want to talk about faith, of course, because Enoch was known to please God because of his faith. And what I want to try and do with us this morning is to really just break faith down into something so simple, even though it's very profound, something so simple that we can grasp it, because without faith it's impossible to please God and come to him. And so I want to just put the whole story of Enoch into some kind of context for you, because otherwise it, he kind of doesn't make sense if you pick him out on his own. And I'm going to read to you from Genesis 5, but I'm just going to give you a little table because it's been much easier for you to follow it because this is so important and I want to see you to see the relevance of what I'm going to read to you. So when Adam was 130 years old, he became the father of a son who was just like him in his very image and he named his son Seth and after the birth of Seth Adam lived another 800 years and he had another sons and daughters and Adam lived 930 years and then he died and then Seth was 105 and he became the father of Enosh and after the birth of Enosh Seth lived another 807 years and he had other sons and daughters and Seth lived 912 years and then he died and then Enosh was 90 when he became the father of Kenan and after the birth of Kenan Enosh lived another 815 years he had other sons and daughters and Enosh lived 905 years and then he died and Kenan was 17 he became the father of Mahalahal and he had more sons and daughters and he died when he was 910 and Mahalahal was 65 when he became the father of Jared he had other sons and daughters and he died at 895 and Jared was 162 and he became the father of Enosh and he had other sons and daughters and Jared lived until he was 962 when Enoch was 65 he became the mother the father was he became the father of um, Methuselah and after the birth of Methuselah Enoch lived in close fellowship with God for another 300 years and he had other sons and daughters and Enoch lived another 365 years walking in close fellowship with God and then one day he disappeared because God took him man I'd love to die like that I pray, God, I want to be like Enoch. I've prayed that for a long time. Just one day, Lord, I was not. Just take me one day. I don't want to be sick. I don't want to be in a care home. I don't want to have other people look after me. God, just take me one day. <clears throat> At least let me live till I'm about 90, though. 
because I've got a lot of to do yet. <clears throat> Not yet, Lord. Um, then Methuselah was 187 and he became the father of Lamech and the, he gave birth. Um, sorry, after the birth of Lamech, uh, he lived another 782 years. And then Methuselah lived 969 years and then he died. And then Lamech was 182 and he became the father of a son. And Lamech named his son Noah, for he said, may he bring us relief from our work and the painful labor of farming and the curse um, of the ground that the Lord has made. And after the birth of Noah, he lived another 777 years. And by the time Noah was 500, he was the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, how many people have meditated on that portion of scripture? <laughs> I think that, I, do you know I love genealogy? I, I was saying to Anne yesterday, I would so love to know what's in my background. I would so love to know. This is ten generations. I'd love to know what goes back in my generation. I do know that my father's mother, my grandfather's mother was Jewish, but that's you know, about the limit of my knowledge and about three generations back. But you know, I'd love to know what went on. Because of those ten generations, we've only got three facts of those ten generations. Isn't it interesting that God has spent a whole chapter, if you look at the first five chapters of Genesis, the first two talk about creation and the fall, the third one talks about, um, the first three actually relate to creation and fall, the fourth talks about Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel, the fifth chapter is genealogy and the sixth chapter goes into Noah and the flood. Isn't that quite incredible that God spends a whole chapter talking about ten generations. He gives us about three facts and one of those facts is that he'd had enough by then. He'd had enough by then of these people on earth. And Enoch is quite incredible. He is seventh, in case you hadn't counted. He is seventh and Jude tells us that, that Enoch was the seventh from Adam. What does the number seven speak of? perfection, completion. God is trying to show us something in this story of Noah. He is, um, sorry, in this story of Enoch. He is seventh from Adam. And <clears throat> when Adam was 130, it says there, um, 130 years old, he became the father of a son who was just like him in his very image. He named his son Seth. I just want us to think about this for a moment because when Adam had Cain and Abel, he doesn't say anything like that. He doesn't say he had a son in his own image just like him. It said he, his, he conceived, his wife conceived, Eve conceived, and they gave birth to two boys, Cain and Abel. And yet we come to this next generation and it says that he gave birth to, uh, he had a son just like him after his image. Now, in his likeness and his image are exactly the same words that God used when he created Adam. In his likeness after his image. The only difference is that with Adam, God breathed something into him and breathed into him his soul. But these are the very same two words. It says that in his image, in his likeness. So just exactly what was Adam like at 130 what do you think he was like at 130? Having known what it was like to walk in the garden with God, having known what happened in the fall, having known what happened when he was evicted from the garden, having produced two sons, one who killed the other, and if you look in the sequence of Cain, you'll see that about three or four generations later there was another murderer in the family. So that influence was taken on through that inheritance. <clears throat> 
if you look at his genealogy and you think about what he'd been through and then at age 130 he says I've produced a son just like me after my likeness and what I wanted to bring out from this to you this morning is the fact that there are many things from our generations that influence us and I hear over and over and over again people saying, well, it's not my fault because, it's not my fault because. You know, it's in my family, it's in my trait, you know, my parents were like it or whatever, whatever. But actually, when we come to Christ, he says, we're a new creation. And so often we blame things of the past. The influences, every single one of us was influenced by the way we grew up. There's no doubt about it. My parents influenced me hugely. I was one of six. That influenced me hugely. It influenced me hugely about the fact you have to share in life, I tell you. If you don't get to the sock pile first, you end up with what's left over. But you know, it, it taught me a lot. And my father, I'm so grateful, my father was a hard worker. I never ever knew my father take a day off sick, ever. And my father's, my father's whole concept was you get a job for life and you work hard and you give something you know to community to life to family my mother's ethos that i always remember uh, the things that she taught me overridingly was look after each other look after each other when we used to go out as a band of kids we were often a renter crowd at parties when we used to go out as a band of kids together my mother's final words to my brothers was look after them look after them bring them back one way or another bring them back look after them and so my mother, that's in, indwelt in me. Look after people because people are important. Look after people. And my father's ethos, work hard. Work hard and give something. And so there are many influences that we have through our family. Many things, good and bad, that, we, that influence us. And I can remember, um, <clears throat> many of you will remember when I was 24, I know you weren't here at the time, but I've spoken about it before, that I went overseas. And um, I went to Zimbabwe, and when I lived there, I remember looking at families and just... look. I think when you go to another country, you see things differently to the way you see your own country, because you're looking with a different eyes. And what I saw when I was there, because they very much live in families, and I lived out in the rural areas, is that <clears throat> the influences that are passed down in culture, in tradition and the influences that are passed down and I would see generations repeating things from older generations simply because that was the way you do things and I know even in my own culture and back here in this country there's a way of doing things which we automatically imbibe because that's the way we were influenced I remember when I came back I was at my sister's one day and I was looking after my two young nieces who are now One's 26, the oldest one. And I remember the, a three-year-old letting out this blood-curdling scream from the bedroom. And I remember going upstairs and saying, what's the matter? And she said, there's a spider. And I said, well, why are you screaming? And she said, because Joe does. <laughs> now, every time Joe sees a spider, she screams. Even now, she's 26, and she lived with me for th seven months. And I, many times I'd hear, Deborah, come quick, come quick. And I think, oh, another spider, you know. <laughs> and I'd go upstairs and I'd say, what is it? And she'd say, there's a spider, and it'd be about this big, and it'd be in the corner. And I'd say, oh, get a life, you know. <laughs> if you don't want it there, you do something about it, you know. <clears throat> but when I said to Ellie, why are you screaming? She said, well, because Joe does. So she had got that same, when you see a spider, you scream. That's what you do. We are so easily influenced by our upbringing. She doesn't scream anymore, but Joe does. Uh, <clears throat> and so 
we need to we need to think about what did Adam influence Seth with because we know that by 10 generations God had said enough God had said enough he said <clears throat> the next thing I want to bring up with Seth here is that it says to and to Seth to him there was born a son and he called his name Enosh and began men to call upon the name of Jehovah so when we get to Seth clearly people then began to cry out to God they began to cry out to the name Jehovah and I want us just to pause there for a moment and think about Jehovah what does Jehovah mean Jehovah means the God who exists the God who exists and I was thinking about this this morning and I think that's why I was overwhelmed in the worship this morning because we need to know him more than the God who exists it wasn't until much later in the word that God revealed himself as Jehovah Jireh, the one who provides, Jehovah Rapha, the one who heals, Jehovah Nissi, the one who covers us, Jehovah, Jehovah Makadesh, the one who sanctifies, etc., etc. They only knew him as the God who exists. And I want to say to you this morning, if you only know God as the God who exists, you're never going to have faith. Most of the people in this country would say they believe in God. It doesn't get you anywhere. You've got to believe in this God. The God who is faithful. The God who we know. It's no point in saying I believe in God. Most people will say that. I believe in God. Well, which God? Which God do you believe in? Or how many gods do you believe in? If we want to have faith, we've got to know the God who sacrificed his life upon the cross who gave for us that we might be redeemed, that we might have life. If you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, well, I don't seem to have much faith, but actually I don't know this God. If I believe in God, it's not enough. It's not enough to say I believe in God. Which God do you believe in? Do you believe in this God who gave his life, Jesus Christ, who gave his life upon the cross? So people began to call upon the name of the Lord. And I don't know why they called on the name of the Lord at this stage, but actually I think they might have been quite desperate because it's when we're desperate. Things were clearly going downhill by now. It's when we're desperate that we call on the name of the Lord. And when we don't know God, but we call on his name, we then enter into a relationship with the God of our imagination. My grandmother did it. She believed in God, but not this God, and then tried to bargain with him. If you do this, if you do that, I'll believe in you. If you do this, if you do that, I'll go to church. If you do this, if you do that, I'll give you my life. God doesn't work like that. You create a God of your imagination. And then when God doesn't come up with the goods, you say, well, I'm rubbish. I'm not going to believe in God anymore. Because you didn't believe in this God. You believed in a God. And you created a God that matched your imagination. And you tried to barter with that imagination. And that didn't get you anywhere. I've seen many people do it discard a relationship with God because he doesn't do what they want him to do but God doesn't work like this it also says that verse if you look at it in the NIV it says at the same time people began to worship the name of the Lord how many people are in church this morning across our nation worshiping God a God that they don't know how many people are in church this morning worshiping a God out of their tradition there are even 
ministers in this country who will stand up and say they don't believe in God, but they're still ministering. There are people up and down the country today in church worshipping a God who they don't know. They're worshipping a God of their tradition, of their culture, of their guilt. It makes them feel better to go to church on Sunday. It won't give you faith. Faith comes through believing in the God that we know. And so when we get to the next thing I want to bring out in here, if I can get it to move on, is Enoch. Because what I want to point out here is in the midst of ten generations from Adam, as I said to you, he comes in seventh. And when we get to this point, it says here, um, Enoch, 365 years, walking in close fellowship with God, and one day he disappeared because God took him. And following closely on from that, it says um, in Genesis 6, my, God said, my spirit will not put up with humans for such a long time. And from they, for they, will, uh, they are only mortal flesh. And in the future, their normal lifespan will be no more than 120 years. So God had given people this incredibly long lifespan. I don't know what it would be like to live 960 years. But God said, in 10 generations, in one chapter, God said, enough. No longer are people going to live. So things must have been really bad. We know it says, as in the days of Noah, so it shall be in the end days. And if you look at the state of the world today, it'll give you a glimpse of what it was like in the days of Noah. <clears throat> and, and God said, that's it, 120 years, that's going to be their maximum. But what I want to bring out here is that now God is saying, people are only mortal People are only mortal. What does it mean to be mortal? It means to be finite. It means to be temporal. It means to be capped off, if you like. To be mortal, it's, it means that we're going to physically die. To be mortal, God said here, these people are only mortal. They are going to physically die, but I'm going to reduce the amount of time that they're going to spend on this earth. I think that was God's grace. I think that was God's grace that he reduced the amount of time that we should live because we lived in sin. But what I want to point out to you here about Enoch is that Enoch is giving us a glimpse of salvation because Enoch didn't die. Enoch didn't die, God took him. And here, I think, for the first time in Scripture, we see a little glimpse of the fact that Jesus came to overpower death. Jesus came to break the power of death. Enoch didn't die. God just took him. And God was showing us here through Enoch a glimpse of the fact that if we walk with God, if we walk with God and we please God, if our life is walking with him and walking with him means knowing him, then we will not die. Yes, we'll die physically, but we will not die spiritually because of salvation, because of what as God has done. And so... <clears throat> We see here a little glimpse of the fact that God's, God's eternal life is being demonstrated. Enoch did not see death, but he did see eternal life. And that is what God has stored up for those, the reward for those who walk with him. And not just walk with him, know him. That word walking with him means to know him. 
That is what he's stored up with us. It's not stored up for those people who just say they believe in God. It's stored up for those who have faith in him. And we're seeing this glimpse for the first time. And then we see, I want to, I'm going to come back to Enoch now, but I want to just talk to you about Noah because it says Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless man living on earth at that time. Can you get that? We've got all these generations of people living, most of them nearly a thousand years, most of them having, it says, many sons and daughters. And God says there's only one person on the earth, only one blameless, righteous person on the earth at that time. What must have the earth been like at that time? But God has already shown us in Enoch, in the seventh generation, that he's got a plan that something else is going to come in terms of salvation and walking with God. I found that quite staggering. I looked at that verse for ages and ages. One person? One person? Out of how many? And I tried to look up how many people might have been on the earth at this time, but I got so many conflicting opinions based on the fact that, you know, if you lived to be 900, you could have had, you know, 800 children. Well, I don't know that a woman really is that good. <coughs> <laughs> Close, 700 maybe, but you know, <laughs> can't imagine a woman. Can you imagine it, women having 700 kids? I think it would be enough to finish you off. So, <clears throat> so we only had one, one person and God used that one person and we go on. We know I'm not going to talk about Noah. So let's talk about Enoch and let's talk about faith. And let's go back to Hebrews 11 where we talk about what faith is. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. And through their faith, these people in days of old earned a good reputation. So Enoch and Noah both had a good reputation. Why? Because they walked with God. And by faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command and that what we see did not come from anything that's not seen. It was by faith that Abel brought him a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. And Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man and God showed approval of him. Um, although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us of his example of faith. But it was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. For before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. It is impossible to please God without faith. It is impossible. Let that just sink in. It is impossible to please God without faith. If you think you can please God without faith, you've got a God of your imagination. You haven't got this God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists. Now, they did believe that God existed. They believed in Jehovah and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. You will only know that he's going to reward you when you walk with him and when you know him. So these two things here then. Firstly, without faith, we can't please God. <clears throat> what does that word walked with God mean? It means here, to walk means to be continually conversant and to follow. With means closeness in various <coughs> senses. And God means, in this one, it means Elohim. 
Elohim means the supreme God, the one and only God. So we go from a group of people who just worshipped a God that existed to Enoch, who actually continually conversed with in various senses, so not just in speaking and listening, but knowing and feeling and breathing consistently with who? The Supreme God. He had gone from just believing in a God to a relationship, walking consistently day by day. That is the kind of relationship that God wants us to have, and that is the reputation of Enoch. That's what Enoch is saying, and that's why Enoch is remembered in, in um, Hebrews 11 and Hebrews 12, because of this. This is what gave him his reputation. Let me ask you, and don't answer, what is your reputation? Are you known for somebody who walks with God? Is your reputation one who senses God in many ways? I sense the presence of God in, the, in here this morning. He wasn't speaking to me audibly, but by my senses I sensed him. <clears throat> And I know him as the one and only God, Elohim, the supreme God. Enoch bore this testimony as one who pleased God. So what is faith? Let's just spend these last few minutes thinking about what is faith. Let's look at it in many different... i try to give you some different examples of it so that we can really understand what it means to walk by faith. Because this is what we have to do in order to please God. What is faith? So <clears throat> faith comes from... Uh, in the Old Testament, from the Hebrew word amun, um, which means this, it means faithfulness and trusting. We sung that this morning, great is your faithfulness. Um, <clears throat> and it comes from a root word, I think. It comes from a root word, amen, oh, amen, actually, and that word means it means this, it means to support, to confirm, to uphold, to nourish. Our faith is intended to nourish us. Did you ever think about that? Our faith in our walk with God is intended to nourish us, to feed us, to motivate us, to move us on, to be faithful, to be carried. Our faith, God will use our faith in him to carry us. What has carried me through all my difficult circumstances in life? My faith. My faith in God. It's intended to carry you, to make you firm. And it's also indicated in pillars or supports for the floor, from the floor. Do you know, no matter what I've been through in life, I've always felt I had an anchor inside. Something was anchoring me. What was it? It was my faith. Can I touch it? No. Can I eat it? No. Do I know it's there? Yes. It's my faith in God. It's my walk with him. If we look at that word in the Greek, it's the word pistis. And if we look at... Here we are. Good. If I look at... Um, if we look at what it means, it means fidelity or faithfulness or conviction of the truth of anything. Belief. Belief with the predominant idea of trust or confidence in someone. It comes from that root, root word, pethu. <clears throat> so if we look at it in the Hebrew or we look at it in the Greek, we're talking about our faith being a belief in something that underpins and holds us strong. Our faith should hold us strong. Our faith should hold us stable. Our faith should hold us rooted in God. 
um, to trust, to have confidence, to be confident, and to have faith in a thing. So what is faith then? Faith is trust or confidence or reliance on something or someone that is not necessarily based on proof. And that's where I think we struggle. Because I meet many, many people in this world who want proof. Faith isn't like that. Faith is like this. Faith is like taking a leap in the dark, but having the conviction that you're going to land in a safe place. Faith is about trusting God, relying on God out of my relationship with him, but actually not necessarily being based on proof. It's based on something I can't see. It's based on my relationship with him. It's based on saying, I know that if I take this step, even though I can't see where it's going, even though I can't see what the outcome might be, I know that I'm going to land in a safe place. Why do I know I'm going to land in a safe place? Because God says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to do you good and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. I have the word of God. That's my safe place. But if you don't know him and you don't know the word of God and you only know there's a God who exists, how can you know that you're going to land in a safe place? It's about relationship. It's about walking with him. It's about that continual conversing with him with all your senses. It's about knowing him so that no matter what happens, I know I'm going to land in a safe place. Faith is like, and I, this was in one of my daily Book, uh, reading books when I was a very new Christian it said faith is like a lantern that's given to a friend on a dark night in order for them to find their way home you know faith is something which brings light faith is something which will guide you faith is something that will show you what God wants for your life and, what, and how God wants to be with you and how God wants to help you and for those of you of the younger generation faith is like Wi-Fi it's invisible, but it has the power to connect you. Faith is like Wi-Fi. You can't see your Wi-Fi, but actually when you press the button, something happens, doesn't it? There you go. <laughs> Point made. That's what faith is like. Faith says, I'm going to trust you, God. I'm going to believe you, God. I'm going to take your word and I'm going to press the button, as it were, because I'm confident something will happen. And even though your Wi-Fi can let you down, God will never let you down. God will never let you down. So faith, here we are. Faith, then, is the confidence that what we, we hope for will actually happen. <clears throat> can you come and join me, Ad, please? Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. And though through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. Enoch's reputation was because he walked with God, because he was willing to take the leap in the dark, knowing that he was going to land in a safe place. It's confidence that what you hope for will actually happen. Where we go wrong is because we're not hoping in the right place. We're not hoping in the God of our salvation. We're hoping in just any God that we might think exists. We have to know the God of the Bible. We have to know the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to separate him out from all other gods, from all other thoughts bring down every thought in our mind that sets itself up against the knowledge of Christ. 
because we're bombarded in this day and age with other things that are supposed to give us remedies. I was talking with somebody a short while ago who said they were having a lot of dreams and they said they went and bought a book of dreams to interpret their dreams and they're a believer. Why are you doing that? The reason is because we want to know. We want the proof. We want to know. Faith is not like that. We read horoscopes, we do numerology, we do all these things, we, we try all sorts of things. Why? Because we want to know. Faith is not like that. Faith is knowing in God and trusting in God that God will do what he says. Putting our trust in him, surrendering our life to him. So how does faith come? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we're going to increase our faith and to know him more through his word. There's no alternative. And if I ask you now, how many of you read your word of God, the Bible, every day? I'm sure the vast majority of you are going to want to put your head down. Are we really walking with him? For those of you who are partners here, regulars here, you know we're on a journey. You know we're on a journey. You know God wants to, is going to do something here. We're on a journey. If you've been through the last few series with us, you know the plans that God has. You know the plans... You know the vision of the leadership, but we've got to have a church of people who know this God, who trust in this God, who put their faith in this God, who trust in his word. Faith comes by hearing. We've got to hear his word, his word, not everybody else's word. You can have, I haven't got it, but you can have 101 channels on your television and tune into all these channels all around the world that are going to feed something into you which is supposedly Christian. And we can spend all our time in that and not in the Word. We've got to spend our time in the Word. We've got to know Him. Not a God of our imagination. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the Word of God. God is looking for this kind of relationship. God wants to walk with us. God wants our reputation to be that we're people who walk with Him. We're known for people of faith being willing to trust in what he says. That's a leap. Being, you may have lived a life where you have never been able to trust another person. You may have lived a life where you've been constantly betrayed. You may have lived a life where you just think, well, how can I possibly trust God when everyone else has let me down? Well, that's your leap in the dark. That's your leap in the dark. You've got to be able to cross that line and say, well, I'm going to try again and I'm going to trust in God. Because God's word says he'll never let me down and he'll never fail. 